Almighty God, we thank you for who you are, that you are gracious and you are compassionate and you are merciful. Lord, we are so undeserving to stand before you and yet you have made a way that we may be presentable before you. So Lord, as we come before your word, may we see the truth in scripture that Jesus is our rock, that we can hide in him, that we must hide in him, and that it is not by our own works, but by your grace and mercy that we can do this. Help us by your spirit to understand the scriptures today, to understand these truths and to apply them to our own lives. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged and convict us where we need to be convicted this morning so that you may be glorified in our lives. We ask of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we've read the word of God this morning, there's a question that becomes quite apparent. It's a question that I cannot answer for you. It's a question the elders cannot answer for you. It's something that you and you alone have to wrestle with. But the answer to this question will have eternal significance. It's four little words. Where are you hiding? Now we could go down the classic Sunday school route and simply say the answer is Jesus and it's fair, you would be right. But we should really unpack the significance of why Jesus should be our hiding place, why we need him to be our hiding place. Why? Because we are always in a state of hiding. We see this in contrast between Adam and Moses. We are either hiding from God or we are hiding in God. We are either hiding from God or we are hiding in God. Why should Christ be our hiding place? Well, our state before God means that we deserve death. Our sin separates us from his presence. Our disobedience before the holy and righteous God means that we deserve his wrath, and yet we are met with undeserved grace and mercy and life, safe from the punishment that we rightly deserve. And we see this quite often with children. Instead of running to our parents when we get in trouble at school or we break something in the house because we were playing with a ball when we were asked not to, what is it that we think to do first? Do we not tend to cover it up as if our parent doesn't already know that the, significant, the sentimental vase that once adorned the dining table is nowhere to be seen? Are we not quick to hide because we fear we will get punished? We feel the shame because we know we've done the wrong thing and we know that there's consequences for our disobedience. But reflect for a moment on your own experience as a child, or maybe even your dealings with your own children. Quite often we see that parents are not as harsh towards their children as they might deserve. 
It's quite interesting that growing up, we can both hide from the wrath of our parents and hide in the safety of their arms. And as Christians, we can find ourselves doing the same with God. The scriptures are filled with this imagery of God being our hiding place, our refuge, our rock, our place of safety and security. And although we read these truths in scripture, we often find ourselves more like Adam, hiding from God in the bushes. We heard it this morning in Psalm 62. Let's turn there again on page 568. Psalm 62, page 568, verses 5 to 8, as we read them this morning. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Selah. God and God alone is our only place of true safety and refuge. More importantly, it's not just the physical attacks that we may be facing in this world. It may not be the spiritual attacks of the devil that we may be facing and need to be safe from but we need to be sheltered from God himself from his wrath that we as sinners deserve as we turn to this interaction in Exodus 33 Moses wants to see God's glory as a sign that that God hasn't forsaken them that he isn't going to pass his judgment on them that he will continue to go with them that they can be distinct from the rest of the world that they are set apart. But he does not deserve to behold God's glory. Because to behold God's glory means that he would be destroyed in the presence of God. And he must hide. And so must we. As we observe this moment in scripture, the question is, are you hiding in the same place? As we look at the the story of the Bible unfolding up into this point, we see that the wickedness of man has increased. We see that through Genesis, God chooses for himself a people that he will be their God to. He makes a covenant with Abraham. From Abraham, we get Isaac. From Isaac, we get Jacob. From Jacob, we get the 12 tribes of Israel. And in there, we meet Joseph, who through the wicked acts of his brothers, sell him. Through God's providence, though, he ends up in Egypt where he becomes prime minister. He helps combat a famine. And for a time, Joseph and God's people, the Israelites, are looked on favorably. We get to the start of Exodus. And Joseph, his brothers, and all that generation has died. A new leader who Joseph meant nothing to comes to power and sees how numerous the Israelites have become. And in his wickedness, he enslaves them. Over time... The people cry out, does God hear us? Is he with us? Does he remember his covenant? But in God's goodness and faithfulness to his covenant, he raises up a leader in Moses who leads his people out of Egypt so that they may live. 
And here in chapter 33 of Exodus, we find ourselves looking into a period where the journey to the promised land has paused. For the chapters leading up to this, Moses has gone to speak with God and receive the law and the ordinances for the people to follow. And this should be such a high point that God would come and draw close to sinful man. In chapter 30, 32, though, we witness that while waiting for Moses to return with the Ten Commandments, the people of Israel build a golden calf to worship and to, to go before them as they continue on their journey. They're sick of waiting for Moses. They want a God they can see, that they can touch, that they can be near, and consequently God was trying to do this to a degree. But because of their sin, instead of going with them and keeping them set apart from the rest of the world, God is ready to exercise his righteous judgment on this people. And here at 33, we see Moses coming before the Lord in a hope to make atonement for the sin of the people, interceding for Israel, pleading with God that he would remember his covenant and that he would not pour his wrath rightly out on them. If we turn to verse 15 of chapter 33, verse 15. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here, continuing on. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Moses doesn't list off all the amazing things he has done. He doesn't list off all the great things he has to offer. He doesn't remind God of all the times that he, he brought on the plagues because he has nothing to offer. He can simply plead and only plead that it be the Lord who goes with them. Because if it is not him and him alone, they have no assurance that they are God's people. And this uh, that they are any different from the rest of the world. And this in lies the fundamental problem for Moses. And this in lies the fundamental problem for us. How can it be that the holy and righteous God can be amongst sinful people? How can God find his dwelling place amongst those who cannot stand in his presence? Well, if we look at Moses... We find that he's able to stand in the presence of God by being hidden. He is hidden in something solid, something that does not break and deteriorate and blow, gets blown away or becomes less of a covering in different seasons like in the garden. We have a tree, well, a, a few trees at our apartment that, that when they're in full bloom, they cover us from neighboring eyes. But when autumn and winter come, all the leaves go and we get a little bit uneasy that people can just look into our living room. It's a quite unsettling. But then when spring comes and the new leaves begin to, to come onto the tree, we, we get hopeful. And then the cockatoos begin to eat them and, and we've got no covering again. But, but what Moses is covered by, what he is hiding in cannot wither in the seasons and cannot be eaten by the birds. And it's not simply to have some privacy from neighboring eyes. This is so that he will not be consumed in the presence of God. If we look at verse 20, but he said, 
You cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft, uh, in a cleft in the rock, and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand, and you will see my back, my face, uh, but my face must not be seen. It is not Moses who hides himself in the cleft of the rock, but the Lord who makes provision so Moses might be protected from the death that is deserved and that comes from being a sinful man beholding God's glory. It is the Lord who hides Moses in the cleft of the rock. It is the Lord that causes the rock to keep Moses safe. And this scene points to our ultimate safety, our ultimate protection, our ultimate hiding place that is Christ Jesus. And it is not by our own merits that we hide in him, but by the Lord's own provision. Moses is about to stand before God himself. In all his glory, in all his splendor, in all his goodness. And yet the Lord has made it clear that no man, because of our sin, can truly stand before this sight and survive. Moses is unclean. Moses is unworthy, and to behold this sight would mean instant death. The same was meant for Adam. To eat of the fruit meant that he should have died. Yet by God's continual grace and mercy, he provided a way that they may live. The same God then is the same God now. And instead of us getting death for being unclean and unworthy of standing before God himself, the Lord provides a way so that we may live, that we may stand before him and know his goodness for his people. He hides them in the cleft of the rock, covering them, protecting them, keeping, from, keeping them from, safe from his judgment while allowing them to be amongst his glory. To understand the significance of this, we must understand what a cleft rock is. If we think about a rock or a mountain, especially biblically, they're quite often attributed to places of strength and fortification. Why? Well, they offer great vantage points. They, they're pretty indestructible. Uh, they can be a natural defense. They gave a solid foundation to stand upon, but a rock that has a cleft is a rock that has been split open. It comes from the word cleave, to pierce, to sever. It acts as a natural barrier and shelter from harm. Think of where David would retreat to when he was on the run, to caves. They provided protection from rain, or shade when it was hot, but also provided protection from attacks that would come from all around. More than that, you could personify a cleft in the rock to a wound that's sustained by a weapon. Well, it's in the cleft of the rock that Moses is hiding. 
This cleft would have most likely surrounded him so that he was protected from all sides. But if we notice that this place of protection that's provided by God is within intimate proximity to him. If we look at verse 21, verse 21, Then the Lord said, There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. Some translations might say, by me. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. We do not grow in the knowledge of God. We do not grow in the love of God. We do not grow closer to God. We do not grow in the holiness of God. We do not grow in the security of God by withdrawing and hiding from him when we sin. We grow in these areas. We have confidence in this. By finding ourselves beside him, planted on the rock, hidden in the rock, the rock that was cleft for us, that was pierced, that was split, that was severed, that was cleaved, that was wounded by weapons. It's on this rock that we stand and it's in this rock that we hide. And the beautiful thing about about this is that it's not by our own doing, but it's by the Lord's hand himself It is the Lord that makes provision for this to happen. The Lord makes provision for Moses to hide. The Lord makes provision for us to hide. But instead of a material rock, we are hidden in the rock that was cleft for us, that is Jesus. What picture can I offer that may help illustrate this? Well, I was very thankful that a few weeks ago we got to witness the baptism of Matthew and Simone and Nathan and Liz because that's the picture. The picture of Moses being hidden within this rock while God's glory passes by can parallel what we witness in baptism. If we look at verse 22, it says, When my glory passes by, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock. And cover you with my hand until I have passed by. As Moses finds himself hidden in the cleft of the rock, this place of refuge, of protection, of safety, as God's glory goes before him, we see that he is protected from the judgment that comes with God in all his splendor. When we are hidden in Christ, symbolized in baptism, we are pronouncing that God has provided a place of safety that protects us from the judgment that we deserve for those who stand outside of Jesus Christ, for those who are not hidden in the rock that was cleft for us. You stand in the floodwaters of God's judgment when he comes. And when he comes... Like Adam, there will be no bush or tree great enough to hide behind. There will be only Christ and those who are in him. This is what we pronounce when we are baptized. And we see this in the account of Noah. Turn with me to Genesis 7. Genesis 7, if you've got the church Bible, you can find that on page 6. 
We'll be reading from verses 11 to 23. Genesis 7, verses 11 to 23. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were opened, and rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On that very day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his three sons, entered the ark. They had with them every wild animal according to its kind, all livestock according to their kinds, every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, everything with wings. Pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing, as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord shut him in. For 40 days, the flood kept coming on the earth. And as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth, and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 20 feet. Every living thing that moved on the earth perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth and all mankind. Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. Men and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds of the air were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. Those who were safe from the floodwaters of God's judgment were found inside the ark, safe and protected from God's justice and the death that they deserved, safe to experience God's glory as he judged the world, safe to experience his goodness as he dealt with the wickedness of man, all the while being undeserving themselves. Baptism demonstrates the visible act of God's taking a person out of the sinful world and placing them into Jesus' body. Just as Noah and his family were visibly taken out of the sinful world and hidden in the vessel of their salvation, and just as Moses was visibly hidden in the cleft of the rock for his salvation, for those who are hidden in Christ, we find ourselves safe and included as part of God's own people. Baptism is about seeing the human body with God's mark of ownership. And this allows us to echo Moses' cry as we can proclaim that because of the Lord's provision and his going with us and hiding us in Christ, we are distinct and set apart from the rest of the world, safe from his judgment. But this also means... That for those who are not hiding in Jesus, you are excluded. You stand outside of God's covenant saving dealings. And the same floodwaters that carry the ark of salvation away from judgment will be drowning sinners in righteous judgment. 
This is why we are hidden in Jesus. We don't just need to be saved from the fires of hell. We don't just need to be saved from the schemes of the devil. We need to be saved and shielded from the awesome burning perfection of God himself. When we are hidden in Christ, Jesus gives us access to the Father without being consumed. And while on this earth, we desperately need this. Charles Spurgeon shares on this passage the practical end, as he calls it. It's sinners unsaved are in the hands of God to do what he likes with. He can destroy or he can save. A moth is not more feeble beneath the finger of man than you are beneath the finger of God. Be not therefore high-minded. Submit yourself to him whose power is able to crush or to uphold you. But know that he in whose hands you are is infinitely good and gracious. Therefore appeal to him for mercy. Like Moses, all we can do is plead before God to be gracious and merciful, to show compassion towards us. But with this comes an encouragement. Spurgeon continues in his notes, when you are in his hands, you are in good hands. Resist not his will. Repine not at his decrees. Confide in his clemency. Approach him in the courts of his house. Fall down at his mercy seat. Adore him by his generous titles. Seek shelter in his love. As we've examined Exodus 33, we are being offered good news. Although all are undeserving, although all fall short of God's glory, He has chosen a people for himself that he has decided to show mercy towards, to have compassion towards, to be gracious towards. And you may be wondering, how has God made provision? How can we stand before God and behold his glory? He hasn't caused rocks to form around us like we've stepped out of the pages of a comic book. How can we be safe? Well, we look to the rock that has been shown to be Jesus. How has Jesus become the cleft rock that surrounds us and protects us so that all of God's goodness can pass before us without the fear of death and with the assurance of salvation? Well, we look to the cross. We look to the wounds that were sustained by weapons. And we look to Jesus that was cleft and severed and pierced And split open for us. Through the atoning work of Jesus Christ who took our place on that cross that should have been meant for us. 1 Peter 2.24 says that he himself bore our sins inside his body on that tree. That we may die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds we are healed. His act of saving sinners, his act of hiding us in the cleft of the rock are acts of grace and of compassion so that we, his people, may stand before his goodness. And this can only be achieved by God himself.
we look at verse 19 of Exodus 33, verse 19, note how many times the ownership is on the Lord. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I'll have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Christ becomes our covering. Not only that, but more importantly, in Christ, a covering is provided for us. In Christ, God himself intervenes to cover and protect us from what would destroy us. And this was the same for Adam and Eve, who deserved death in that moment. And yet by God's grace, he intervened He by stooping down and making a covering and protected them from what should have destroyed them. No angel or mere man can do this, only the hand of God himself. Jesus died in our place and bore the wrath of God for our sin and by doing so became the rock that those who trust in and plant themselves on also hide in. The cross of Jesus Christ is the source of our salvation and not our own good efforts. There are no IOUs, there are no checks that we can cash, no favours that we can store up. We have a debt that we cannot pay back. Like our own nation has a national debt that we as citizens have to pay back. I don't know who to, but we have to pay it. We will never fully pay that back. Australia's national debt as of last year was $895.3 billion. We look at that number and think, how can we pay that back? Well, how much more should we look at the debt that we owe God and think, how can I ever pay that back? So we appeal to his mercy and look to Christ who paid it for us. Performance-driven moralism will not be the remedy for our sin. Man cannot help God achieve our own salvation just as Moses couldn't save himself before God, just as Adam and Eve couldn't save themselves before God, we must look to the cross. We must look to Christ, our cleft rock, totally depending on him. Christ, who is split open at the cross, provides the only place of both spiritual and eternal refuge for sinful people. Like Moses, who was hidden by God in the rock so he would be protected from God's righteous judgment, like Noah who was hidden in the ark so that he would be safe as the floodwaters of God's judgment passed by, like Adam and Eve who were clothed in animal hides so they would escape God's wrath, so too are those who are hidden in Christ, our cleft rock, open on our behalf on that cross, so we are sheltered from the eternal death we would surely face when we stand before the holy and righteous God to be judged. But instead, for those who are hidden in Christ, we are given eternal life in his glory. And for those who are hiding from God, like Adam and Eve, 
hiding in your disobedience, hiding in your shame, hiding in your nakedness and hiding in your sin, I can only offer you the same encouragement. Look to Christ. He was stripped of his clothes. He was made to walk in shame and he obediently hung on that cross where he became our sin and the Father poured the full cup of his wrath and judgment onto his own Son and in doing so, God and God alone paid our eternal debt and made a way so that we may be presentable before him, that we may be covered so that all his goodness can pass before us. We were reminded in our singing this morning of our standing before God. And the only place that we can securely stand this day and on that final day if we look to our first song, the words, When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. If the question we must answer is, where am I hiding? May your only answer today and on that final day, be in Christ. Let's pray. Merciful God, humbly we throw ourselves at your grace and your compassion and your mercy. We are so undeserving to behold your glory. Lord, we deserve the full cup of your wrath to be poured out on us for our disobedience and our sin towards you. But Lord, we look to Christ. Oh God, we look to the cross, to the atoning, uh, the atoning work of Jesus who died in our place and took the punishment that we deserved and paid our eternal debt that we could not pay back. Lord, we thank you that it is not by our own good efforts and good deeds that we can stand before you safe from the judgment we deserve, but it is by Christ and Christ alone, that we may approach you this morning. Have mercy on us, O Lord. Have compassion and be gracious towards us. And hide us in your Son. Like Noah, like Moses. Hide us in the vessel of our salvation, that as you judge this world, we will be safe. And we thank you for your great love for us, that you willingly would pour your wrath out on your own son, so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. 
And we come before you in the name of Jesus. Amen.